What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Telling Like a TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Friday, October the 8th, the year 2021. We got lots to do, lots to talk about on this busy sports weekend. Get into the New York Yankees getting bounced. Uh, from the postseason, much to my delight by the Boston Red Sox on Tuesday. We'll get to that here at the top. We will recap uh, game one, the two game ones of the American League Divisional Series between the Red Sox and the Rays and the White Sox and the Houston Astros. We'll preview the NLDS, which begins later on uh, later on Friday, Friday evening. We will recap the Thursday night matchup that was between the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. You best believe I got a couple of things to say about that. And, of course, we will preview Week 5 uh, in the National Football League and give you my Week 5 picks against the spread. But first things first, we begin with the New York Yankees who are gone away and are finished and are dead, who are done through kaput see ya in April of 2020. To the New York Yankees uh, are done. They are finished. They are not a factor. They are out of uh, postseason play for the year 2021. They played one extra game than the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, which is great because, like I've told you guys all year long, or essentially since I want to say June or July, essentially, I've been I've told you I've told you guys that the Yankees are dead. They're done. They're finished. And then, you know, so I was half right and I was half wrong. I was half right on the fact that this team was not a World Series contending team, which they were not. I was right on the fact that the New York Yankees were inconsistent as hell, could not get out of their own way. If their starting pitching was good, their bullpen was in the toilet. If their bullpen was good, their starting pitching was in the toilet. If they could hit and get good starting pitching, their bullpen would implode on them. And if they can't hit and their starting pitching's off the charts, then they can't score runs and they can't win ball games. So I was right on the fact that the Yankees were dead. They were an underachieving, underwhelming, uninspiring baseball team that does nothing but strike out nine million times. They don't put the ball in play. They're a feast or famine team. They either hit the ball out of the ballpark or they swing and miss with the best of them. A predominantly right-handed lineup also does them no favors as well. So I was right on that standpoint. I was also wrong on the standpoint because if you would have told me, for instance, in the Field of Dreams game when Tim Anderson hit that walk-off home run into the cornfield of uh, Dyersville, Iowa back in early August. If you would have told me that the New York Yankees would win over would win over 90 games and make the postseason as a wild card team, I would have I would have I would have had you drug tested. If you also would have told me after uh, Tim Anderson hit that walk-off from running the Field of Dreams game two months ago that the Yankees wouldn't lose, would, would not lose a game for another two weeks and go on this tremendous winning streak right after the Field of Dreams game, I would have said you were, I would have said you're nuts. But they ended up doing that, and essentially because of that 13-game winning streak. Is the reason is one of the reasons why they were able to play in that wild card game, and when they went 92 and 70, and they had to fight tooth and nail in game 162 on Sunday, thanks to an Aaron Judge infield single to eat to be to put themselves in a situation to even make the postseason. Because quite because quite frankly, after the performance they put up on Tuesday night, they had I'd I'd rather see the Seattle Mariners or give me the Tampa Bay Blue Jays because. 
it was more the same for the pathetic waste of my freaking time, boring, uninspiring New York Yankees. I mean, Garrett Cole, who you know, who signed a two hundred, who signed over a three hundred plus million dollar contract a few years ago, was absolutely horrendous, making all, the highest paid pitcher on the team. If not, if not in all of baseball, and you know, and he gives me in a winner-take-all postseason game against the Boston Red Sox, the most historic rivalry in the history of the sport, and, and arguably in all of American sports. And he takes the ball, gives me two innings, gives up four hits, three runs, three strikeouts. I mean, really? I mean that that's what that's what you're gonna that's what you're gonna give me, Garrett Cole, in a in a winner take all, do or die American League wild card playoff game, you're gonna sit up here and give me and not even make and not not even give me five innings and you get knocked around le around the ballpark left and right. I mean that is an absolutely pathetic, pathetic, pathetic performance on the part of Garrett Cole. And and he's not just to blame as well. You know, the relievers that came in in his relief were not much better. Holmes pitched two Holmes was okay, get two innings pitched, gave up a hit. But how do but then how do you explain how do you explain Severino and La Sayaja, however you pronounce this dopey name, who came in, Severino went an inning in a third, gave up a hit, a run, walked uh walked the batter and uh, and ca and came out of the, and came out uh, earlier than he should have, uh, or earlier than expected in relief. And then here comes Lassinger, who comes in there, get, uh, goes an inning, does not give up a hit, but gives up two runs, walks the ballpark, and walks three batters and two strikeouts. And then Chad Green comes in, and we all know about the uh, the uh, the the, uh, the fantastic wonders of Chad Green, whether it, whether it's getting lit up by Jose Altuve back in the month of May and back in July, whether it's in late July when he came into Fenway Park and absolutely imploded on that Thursday, on that Thursday night series up in, up in Fenway, a series that the Yankees had to have, uh, you know, and Chad Green vomits all over himself and gets knocked around Fenway Park left and right that the Red Sox ended up coming back and winning that game via walk-off. We all know about Chad Green and his struggles this season. Comes in, pitches an inning and two-thirds, gives, uh, gives up a hit, walk Walks a batter, and but and the, when Chad Green gave up that run uh, in his uh, you know his last batter that he you know second to last batter that he or actually it was his last batter because the runner got thrown out at second base trying to advance it into a double which ended up ending the inning. But the final batter that Chad Green faced for the 2021 season wasn't it so apropos? I mean he gave up that run. You knew that was the the coup de gras for the 2021 Yankees and for their and and the coup de gras of any hopes that they may have had of doing the impossible and trying to put together a comeback of winning this foot of winning this football game winning this baseball game I mean I mean it's just oh it's pathetic I mean as a team they only got I mean as a team they go ahead they, only, they got six hits on the night only scored two runs uh Stan went Stan went deep with a home run got Bless him uh, in a meaningless in a meaningless home run to pad his stats in the ninth inning, and then Rizzo took a Valdi uh, took a Valdi deep uh, in the sixth 
inning with uh, no one and one out. Uvaldi, who absolutely who was pitching tremendous, I was shocked myself why Alex Cora took him out. Uh, Uvaldi, who went five and a third, gave up four hits, one run, struck out eight, and the one mistake he made, uh, which didn't even really come back to bite him because the Red Sox hitting was so fabulous, was the home run to Rizzo in the top of the sixth inning. I would have left him. I would have left him in myself, and if the Yankees would have had any pulse at all, Alex Cora would have been would have been getting knocked left and right all week long for how do you take out Nate Evaldi who was cruising throughout the game pitch count was low the whole nine yards gives up one you know throws one lousy pitch and, and you're trigger happy to take him out Alex Cora got off the hook because the Yankees were as dead as a doornail I mean Joey Gallo 0 for 4 0 for 4 uh, 0 for 4 struck out once I mean Joey Gallo I mean first pitch I, I mean he so useless I mean, you can't, you can't, you, I've never seen in my life on a contending baseball team more useless players throughout their, more useless players throughout their lineup. After you get through Rizzo, Stanton, and Judge, you know, Brett Garner should not wear another Yankee uniform again unless it's at Old Timers Day. Uh, Joey Gallo is an automatic out every single at bat. Once, once every 10 to 15 at bats, he hits the ball nine miles. Big whoop. Who cares? Can you put the ball in play, please, for crying out loud? And and not being so quick to swing at the first pitch, which the Yankees did 9,000 times. I mean, he stinks. Joey Gallo, a trade that, and I said it at the time. I said it at the time uh, in late Ju- in late July, early August when it happened, and I said and I said it when the trade went through. I was at the day that that trade went through was the day that I was uh, was the day that I was with the dog and Colin at, a, at downtown for Marlins Orioles, and th- that trade happened on that exact same day. And I remember saying to myself, taking a pee at the urinal, saying, "Why in God's name?" I understand he's a left-handed batter, but why in the world would the Yankees trade for another feast or famine baseball player that strikes out 9,000 times and the only positive at bat he has is when he hits a home run. If he doesn't, he's an automatic strikeout and an automatic out every at bat. I said it to myself at the urinal, God be my witness, and I said it on the show at the time, and I'll say it again. The fact that, why in the world, and this is why Brian Cashman has to take some hits and why he has to be fired. Why in the world would they ever, ever, ever trade for Joey Gallo, who does nothing but strike out 9,000 times with the occasional home run that goes 445 feet. I have absolutely no idea. And yes, I understand that it was a Yankee lineup in early July that was that was depleted of left-handed batters. But at what cost? You hit the lottery with with Rizzo and you went, and you went bankrupt with Joey Gallo. That trade made no sense, and he did absolutely nothing in the game. Late in the game, he one of his final at bats of the season. He swings away at the first pitch when you need base runners. Take a pitch and work the pitch count, will you please? My goodness gracious! Yankees are nothing but swinging the first pitch all night long. And I sat here to, and, and it was funny, you know, when Gary Sanchez grabbed the bat to pinch it in the latter innings of the game. I said to myself, Yankees waving the, are waving the white flag with this move because they because the last thing they wanted to do in the sequence of that game was have Gary Sanchez anywhere near it. Yet they're so desperate to to, uh, to strike a rally, to fire start a rally, and get together some offense. They were so desperate they they waved the white flag and was like, oh, what the heck? You know, we'll sacrifice our we'll sacrifice 
sacrifice piss poor defense at the catching position so Gary Sanchez you know can can hit a double into the right into a right center field corner to to possibly start a uh, a, a comeback rally you know in a, in a, you know and it's in, in the latter innings of that ball game I, as soon as Gary Sanchez walked up to the plate, I said to myself, Yankees know they're cooked. They, they're, they're throwing Sanchez out there as their Hail Mary last second effort to possibly save their season, which ended up going for not first pitch. He sees, he hits the ball out in center, he hits the ball out to the outfield for a, uh, for a fly out to begin the inning. I mean, it's, it's, it's more the same with the Yankees. And then, of course, how about Phil Nevin sending Aaron Judge sending Aaron Judge for him to get thrown out by 30 miles at the plate. And I understand that that will possibly, and Nevin denied this, now he probably has to to protect his players and not cause a mutiny. But he, you know, he's like, well, did Gallo being on deck have any effect of it? Have any effect? He said it didn't. I'll take him at his word. But the fact, and this is not the first, and this this is not the first time that the Yankees have gotten trouble uh, on the base pass. Did you know that the New York Yankees ran themselves into 22, either 22 or 23. Let me double check that. But I have it written down in my notes that the Yankees ran themselves into 22 outs this season. Did you know that? 22 outs. You know who has, you know who had more, you know who ran into more outs? This season, want to know who ran into more outs? You know, the Kansas City Royals, that's who went 74 and 88 and finished last place in their division. Only the Yankees ran into more outs. I had it right 22 outs at the plate, and the sixth inning. You know, when runs in postseason play come are at a premium and Phil Nevins decides to send Aaron Judge in a hard hit ball. I mean you got I mean it's 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 literally all of what was wrong with the Yankees from April to September rolled up into one game. When Aaron Judge got thrown out at got thrown out at uh, home plate in the sixth inning on Tuesday night, you know what I thought of? You know what popped into my mind? Do you guys remember the Orioles Yankee game on Let me see if I let me get the exact date for you cuz I want to be accurate. Do you guys remember the Yankee Oriole game from April from April 26th? The game where Matt Harvey found the fountain of youth and went 6 innings, struck out 5, gave up only gave up one run. You remember that game? Remember how? Remember when Aaron Judge got thrown out at third base on a ball that was hit like literally right in front of him? Remember that, and how it co- and how it cost the Yankees, how it cost the Yankees a rally with uh, when they had the when they had the bases loaded or thereabouts and the top of the eighth inning down two runs the score was four to two and the ball was hit hard in left field right in front of them and Austin Hayes threw an absolute laser to get Aaron Judge remember that that when I saw that play on Tuesday night I immediately thought about that moment 
and this was April. This was what? This was six. This was nearly damn near six months ago. And I saw, and I said to myself, "That's that's that's this day. De, this deja vu." Had they, I remember they had the bases loaded, two out in the top of the eighth inning, down four to one. They they score one run automatically because it was a base hit, ball hit hard right in front of Aaron Judge to left to left field. Austin Hayes throws a complete laser, nails Aaron Judge at third base. Yankees go on to lose that game. I thought about that when Aaron Judge got thrown out at the plate on, at in the sixth inning. This game was a microcosm of the Yankees season rolled up into one. Piss poor starting pitching. Bullpen terrible, bats flat as a pancake, not fundamentally sound, piss poor base running, poorly coached, poorly managed, whole nine yards. Yankee pitchers walk the ballpark Tuesday. It was an abs. If you're a Yankee fan, it was an absolute disgraceful performance. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. And I tell you something right now. Cashman needs to go because it's his fault because he constructed a roster. The Joey Gallo trade, constructing a lineup that's predominantly right-handed, that's feast or famine. Gary Sanchez, who stinks, he has to go. Ben, I, 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 is, does, not, and don't get it confused with, well, Brian Cashman doesn't deserve another GM job in baseball because, because we all know that that's not the case. Okay, the point is that he should not be the general manager for the New York Yankees anymore. He's been there a long time. And for the New York Yankees, making the playoffs is not good enough. Because in the times that the Yankees have made the playoffs as a team, they since twenty since twenty seventeen, they lost in a seven game series to the Astros in the ALCS, got the got destroyed by the Red Sox in four games in eighteen ALDS. In 2019, they lost the ALCS in six games with uh, Altuve hitting the walk-off home run, the walk-off Chapman and the crew in six games in the ALCS. Last year, they lost the ALDS thanks to um, what's the not Randy at Rosarena, but um, his name will come, his name will pop into my head in a minute. The guy that got revenge on Chapman uh, in that top, in that top of the ninth inning in Game Five against Tampa in the ALDS last year, they lost that game, and then they lost the wild card on Tuesday night, six to th- six to two. The Yankees are going in the wrong direction. Wrong direction. In the five straight years in which they in which they last made the postseason from 2017 to now, they have not made the World Series. And if you're the Baltimore Orioles, the Seattle Mariners, the Oakland A's, the 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 uh, Toronto Blue Jays, getting to the World Series and this or excuse me, getting into the playoffs, let alone the LCS, is good enough. Okay, good enough. Orioles Orioles winning 92 games this season would have been a tremendous successful season. Even if they did end up, you know, say playing the Red Sox and losing 6-2, their season still was a success. New York Yankees, their measure of success is bigger than the Baltimore Orioles. Always has been and always will be. 
getting to the playoffs, getting to the ALDS, getting to the ALCS, playing in the wild card game, not good enough. Not good enough. Especially when you get bounced in those rounds. But getting bounced in the World Series, different story. But, different story. You know, if they if they would have they would have went on and then lose the World Series, would I look their season as a success? Yeah, I would. I haven't been there in a long time. Haven't been there in a long time. You know, I appreciate it. If if it would have worked out in their favor, they would have had to go up against the heavyweights and the Astros and the and the Rays that knock them around left and right. And if they lost the World Series to say the Dodgers or the Giants, season would have been a success. But you're the New York freaking Yankees. You have not gotten to a World Series since 2009. Twelve years ago. Last time the Yankees made it to the World Series, I was seven years old. I'll be 20. Come the second month of the next season. Next spring. This upcoming spring. And the Yankees will have gone and will have gone 12 years without a World Series appearance slash World Series championship. These are the New York Yankees, the second highest payroll in the sport. 27 championships, whole nine yards. The the uh, essentially the Los Angeles Lakers of baseball, and their playoff ineptitude is at an ultimate, ultimate, ultimate high. And did you know, did you know that since game three of the 2004 ALCS, the Red Sox have an 8-1 and one postseason record against the Yankees? Since game three, the last time, the, the last quote-unquote moment of glory for the Yankees kicking the Red Sox hind parts for all those years. Since game three of the 4 ALCS, the Red Sox have, a, have an 8-1 postseason record against the Yankees. Did you know that? When you're the New York Yankees, that is not something to be proud of. That your hated rival has done nothing but kick your hind parts left and right for the last 17, 18 years. For the last 17 years. That's not something to be proud of. So that's something to be proud of running in the 22 outs on the base paths this season. Nathan Avaldi struck out eight batters. That's tied for the most in a winner-take-all postseason game. Joining company with Lester, Pedro Martinez, who did it twice. He got dominated. And the Yankees' playoff record in the last 20 years against the Minnesota Twins who the Yankees have always killed in the postseason in the 21st century thus far. Their postseason record against the Twins, 16-2. That's an 889 winning percentage. Their record against every other team, that's the Red Sox, that's the Orioles, that's the Astros, that's the Rays, that's the... Um, trying to think. That's the Tigers. Their record against every other team... 43 and 58. 426 winning percentage. Cashman needs to go. 
Boone needs to go with him because he cannot manage his way out of a paper bag if the fate of the universe depended on it. He needs to go. Nevin and his assistant coaches need to go. They need to clean house. Don't bring Gallo back. Don't bring Sanchez back. Clean house. Get rid of everybody. Get rid of all the dead weight. All of it. Because in reality, this could this could end up being a blessing in disguise for the Yankees. The best thing to happen to them. And Yankee and and the pessimistic Yankee fans were scared that well, if we make the postseason, it could be a ne- it, you know it could be a ne- there's a negative connotation to it because the Yankees are, are going to be tricked into thinking well, there's nothing wrong with the way we do things. We made the playoffs. We won over 90 games. What's there to change? Getting humiliated by your division rival Red Sox in a wild card playoff game in front of America on ESPN. Could cause heads to roll as it should. Boone, Cashman need to go. Gardner, I've seen enough of. He's done. He's finished. See ya. Gallo, off my TV screen. Gary Sanchez, get him out. The Yankees need to do some serious soul searching this offseason and legitimately and honestly took a, take a look in the mirror and realize that the way that things have gone over the last 12 years is not New York Yankee baseball. And, and changes need to be made ASAP. The New York Yankees should not be having these moments of playoff futility of going a decade plus without appearing in a World Series championship. Or winning one for that matter. The New York Yankees, who have more who have the highest payroll in the American League, their season lasted one game more and thirty six hours longer than the fifty two and hundred and ten Baltimore Orioles. That is un from a Yankee perspective, because I I'm loving every minute of this. From a Yankee perspective, that is unacceptable. You cannot have the highest payroll in the American League, win over ninety games, be the New York Yankees with all the history and the cachet that comes with that franchise, and have and play one single lousy game more. And have your season last 36 hours longer than the 110 lost Baltimore Orioles who finished in last place in your division. Who, oh, by the way, spent a whole seven days longer in first place than the Yankees did during the regular season. Did you know that? Credit to Fox for pulling up this graphic in game one of the of the Tampa uh, of the Tampa Boston game, which I'll get to after the break, Rays spent ninety eight days in first place. Red Sox spent eighty five. The third longest, the, the team that came in third of longest days spent in first place. My hundred and ten lost Baltimore Orioles spent eight days in first place. 
which of course is because of the fact that they started on fire, you know, in early April, and the Yankees couldn't get out of their own way, and the Red Sox's head was up in the clouds. Third longest, Orioles spent a whole eight days, a week and a day in first place. Yankees claimed first place one time in a six-month, 162 regular season. And I understand that, you know, the glory days of his ownership period were well before my time, but I've heard enough, read enough, and been told enough by many a people that if George Steinbrenner was alive to see this, Boone and Cashman would have had to either fly or take the train commercial back to New York. Because I know George Steinbrenner, God rest his soul, would not stand for this. George Steinbrenner would not stand for his team, the cash, the historic cachet and aura that his franchise has, would not stand for the fact that with the highest payroll in the American League, that the that the 110 lost Baltimore Orioles spent seven more days in first place than his New York Yankees did, and he also would not tolerate the fact that the Yankees played one more played their season lasted only one day longer, only it lasted only one day and 36 hours longer than the last place 110 lost Baltimore Orioles. Hanks, or excuse me, George Steinbrenner would not stand for that, and Hal Steinbrenner shouldn't stand for it either. Cashman and Boone need to be fired before the month of October is out. Back after this. be a lot of sleeping in New York, that's for sure. Welcome back to the Amatelakitiyas podcast. Switching gears now to game one of the ALDS that uh, commenced on Thursday afternoon and Thursday night. We start with the Astros and White Sox as that game has probably already begun uh, at the time you're uh, listening to the show. 
Um, the Astros just absolutely dominated and be, and knocked around Lance Lynn all over the ballpark six to one on uh, Thursday on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Lance McCullers had a hell of a start, six and two thirds, four hits, struck out four, did not allow a run. Uh, bullpen sh- bullpen shut him down. Uh, bullpen shut him down as well with uh, Graveman giving up the only run that uh, that the White Sox scored in the game. Uh, it was a whole, it was a, a Jose Abreu credit him with the RBI. Uh, White Sox could not hit. Um, White Sox could not hit uh, in the game. Only drove in one run off of three. Or excuse me, off of seven hits, uh, leaving seven guys on base. Their hitting with runners in scoring position was absolutely atrocious. One of eight uh, hitting uh, hitting as a team with runners in scoring position, leaving seven guys on base. Uh, they drew. They drew. Uh, they drew three walks in the game. Got seven hits. And only and only could cash in with runners in scoring position one time. I understand the series is still early. I picked the Astros to win the series because the Astros, in my eyes, are a much better team than the White Sox are. You feel like that the Astros. And I understand it's only one game. You don't want to overreact, but you but you kind of get the feeling that the Ash, that the excuse me the White Sox, who cruised in that weak and pathetic AF, AFC. AL Central Division, you know, with the Indians who are very eh, the uh, tw- and then the Twins and the Royals who stink. Tigers were competitive, but we all knew the Tigers weren't a playoff team under any circumstances. You feel the need, you feel like that they sort of cruise throughout the regular season in that weak division, and all of a sudden, you know, they get the heavyweights. You know, they got to play the Astros first round, and even if they make it, if they somehow, some way, uh, beat Houston and win these and win the next three. Win the next three games against Houston for the remainder of this series. You figure they got you know Tampa will not be an easy task, but uh, and in Boston and if they end up going up against Boston in the ALCS, you just never know. Um, but you know I saw the game. You know the White Sox were very loose. You know to begin the game. You know, and maybe almost a little too loose because you know when it time when it got time to get down to the nitty gritty and start getting serious, you know, Houston essentially punched the Astros in the mouth right from the word go. Uh, you know, with Houston scoring runs in the in the bottom of the second, excuse me, in the second, third, fourth, fifth inning, uh, and that essentially was their scoring for the rest of the game. Put up two runs in the third and the fourth. Put up a run in the second and the sixth. And it was just all Houston. Um, all Houston on a Thursday afternoon on ten, with uh, ten hits. Jose Altuve, I tell you, I mean, uh, he you know he he may not be six feet tall and he may be a conniving, despicable cheat, but good God, is that man good at baseball? He went two for four, two for four uh, the other night. Uh, draw drew a walk. Alvarez went deep off of Lopez in the fifth inning. Um, it's just an absolute, you know, Brantley had two two-out RBIs, which was extremely clutch. Uh, it's, Myers, the center fielder, also had another two-out RBI in the game. Uh, Houston went two for eight with runners in scoring position. Solid bullpen play, a phenomenal start by Lance McCullers. Uh, who is who is one hell of a pitcher, one of the few remaining guys from that 2017 championship team, by the way. Uh, just an absolutely phenomenal job by Houston as they dominate the uh, White Sox in game one by the final score of 6-1. to one. And you also get the thing with the Astros, you know, 
they took their lumps as they should have, and I'm not crying a river for them, and I'm not feeling sorry for them, you know, because they had to take their lumps because they felt the need to cheat the sport all season long. But they took their lumps, you know, the the cheating, the the whole cheating, you know, mock the Astros thing is kind of died down. It's, it's kind of died down because it's been it's been over a year since the scandal broke. It's been four years since. Uh, since the season in which the in which they carried out that scandal in 2017, it's kind of you know it's ran its course. It's it gotten old. I get for lack of a better word, you can kind of say it's gotten old. You know the noise to, to a certain degree has kind of died down with Houston. You feel like, and I certainly feel like, because if you checked out my uh, Twitter and you checked out my social media, I predicted the Astros to win the American League and make it to the World Series. Because I feel like this is a team that's that's hungry, that's motivated. The you know, and I give the Astros this: they're a gutty, feisty, uh, you know, will show you badass type of baseball team. You know, any single time the Astros get get booed, get jeered, get made fun of, you know, they they take that Michael Jordan, I took it personally approach, and they go out there and they say, all right. Well, you know, all right, fine. You say what you all right, fine, bet. You know, we'll go out there and we'll kick your iPods for nine innings, you know, and prove that we can dominate you and we're as good as anybody in the sport without having to cheat. And they and they do just that on a year or not a year in your base. But, but they but they did that last year. They made Tampa sweat. They went sub five. They had a sub 500 record in the 60-game 2020 season and came within an eyelash of making it to the World Series last year. And then they come out, and again, I understand it's only one game, and they could fall flat on their face and lose the next three, and, and you know, it's so long Houston Astros until 2022, I get that. But, you know, you get the feeling that, you know, that the Astros, you know, want a little bit of revenge and got vengeance on their mind because, you know, we'll show you that, you know, we're still a great championship baseball team and we don't have to cheat. And I figure that's the mindset that a lot of those, at least the guys from the uh, from the 17 team that are still on there, you know, Guriel, Correa, Altuve, uh, Bregman, those those guys, you know, that core group, you know, though, you know, Guriel, Correa, Bregman, Altuve, those four guys, I, I feel like that they've kind of taken on that mindset and be like, all right, we, you know, we'll go out there, we'll show you, and we'll prove to you that we're, you know, the best team in baseball, and we don't have to cheat, and we don't have to cheat to do that. So, uh, you know, and if they win this championship, there's no asterisks on it, that's for sure. Um, and then, of course, there's also the factor, you know, who their manager is, and Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker, who's a likable guy, been around baseball for over 40 years, a long, 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 long time, managed all over the place, the Giants, the Cubs, the Nationals, the Reds, and now here with the not not in any not in that particular order, but you know that's just the teams that I'm naming that he's managed for, where he's gotten to the doorstep many or he's gotten to the doorstep many a time, and uh, you know and for whatever the reason cannot cannot deliver the goods. You know you think back to with the uh, pennant race, in uh, in ninety you think about the pennant race in ninety three, which the Giants won over a hundred games, and back in those days no wild card. Um, and they competed in the same division of as the Atlanta as the Atlanta Braves. Why I have no idea, but they uh, won over 100 games in '93. Didn't win their division, failed to make the playoffs. 
you know, O three with the Cubs when when they complete when the Cubs completely collapsed in O three against the Marlins in the uh, NLCS. Of course, with the Steve Bartman play whole nine yards couldn't couldn't deliver the goods. Couldn't deliver the goods many a times with the uh, you know with the Cincinnati Reds. You know, back in uh, back in the uh, early two thousands ends, and then he comes with and then he comes with the Nationals. And the Nationals lie down and die to the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and uh, and other postseason in, in in that postseason series back in I believe it was two thousand in the two thousand seventeen NLDS he couldn't deliver the goods for the Nationals now he's with the Astros first he gets first year there after the whole uh after the whole cheating debacle twenty twenty COVID season they underachieved regular season wise had a horrendous regular season. Uh, you know, whether the fact that they were rattled by all the noise of them being of them being cheating frauds, I have no idea. And then you know they come within an eyelash of making the World Series. They come within an eyelash of making the World Series, and uh, you know they come out this season. They win their division. They go out there and they win. Uh, they win their division and win ninety five games. Go ninety five and sixty seven. And you know Dusty Baker, who's essentially baseball's Andy Reid, is also trying to. Uh, Plant his flag atop of the baseball mountain and get that uh, eluded championship that has avoided him all these years. Not as a player, but as you know, in his managerial career, trying to get that World Series ring. Something that the great Dusty Baker does not have at this point of his managerial career in 2021. And of course, you have a game one between Boston and Tampa. Uh, you know, which was you know, and Tampa absolutely punched. Uh, Boston in the mouth. Boston coming off of that huge high of, you know, who they were not expected to make the postseason. Their over-under number was in the 70s. I could look it up for you just for the sake of conversation what I had the Red Sox at uh, to begin the season. I had the Red Sox at 75-87, and 87, fourth place in the division, not making the playoffs. They got ambushed by my Orioles, of course, in the opening uh, series of the new season back in early April. And they come out there, you know, they had a rough second half, but still they made the playoffs. Nevertheless, got a home play, got that wild card game at home and, defeat the, and defeated their division rival New York Yankees. Coming off of that huge high, two days later, they lay an egg uh, against the against the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, losing by the final score of five to nothing, they out hit Tampa nine to six and still couldn't get a run home. They left as a team. They went one for seven with runners in scoring position. Left eight guys on base. Rod Eduardo Rodriguez did not have it under any circumstances. Uh, went one and two thirds. Gave up two hits, two runs. Both of them earned. Walked two batters. And then of course their bullpen came in. Garrett Richards went in when a third of an inning was absolutely flawless. Paveda went four and two thirds. Got rocked. Four hits, three runs, walked two batters in the game, gave up two home runs, was absolutely horrendous. Um, and that essentially, you know, and that essentially was all she wrote. Uh, Tampa, Randy and Rosarena, you know, who playoff, play, playoff, it's playoff Lenny for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's it's uh, it's uh, October of Rosarena or October Randy, whatever you want to call him. Postseason of Rosarena, postseason Randy, whatever. Who you know hit a home run, stole home for crying out loud. Went one for three, scored three runs, walked twice. Franco went to uh, Wanda Franco. Their young uh, phenom shortstop went two for four, uh, had an RBI in the game. Nelson Cruz, the ageless wonder, also went deep in the game as well. 
uh, absolutely punched Boston in the mouth. Hell of a start by McClanahan. Five innings, five innings of five run shutout ball, struck out three. Back in the bullpen did a phenomenal job as well. Red Sox had their chance to to uh, to make the game interesting and to make it close and to close in on Tampa in that uh, in that eighth inning with the bases loaded. They could not uh, structure. They could not get any runs home as that was their lone and sole opportunity for them to win that game, and they could not do so as the home teams in both American League Division series have a one nothing advantage. Raise up one nothing after their five one victory on the Red Sox heading into game two on Friday night and then of course uh, the Astros and Chicago which is uh, in progress uh, while I'm speaking to you probably at this moment uh, go up one nothing in their series against the White Sox by winning uh, game one by the final score of 6-1. to one. Just a couple of uh, notes before we move on to National League. Getting back to the uh, Lance Lynn and the White Sox who was absolutely horrendous. Lance Lynn who has the highest fastball rate by any starting pitcher, uh, you know, by any starting, he throws a lot of fastballs. It's a huge, 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 big-time fastball pitcher. Threw 76 pitches, 74 of those 76 pitches in his outings, Not that's 97% of them were fastballs. That's the highest fastball rate by any starting pitcher in a playoff game since 2008. And yet the Houston Astros have the best batting average had the best batting average in baseball this regular this past regular season hitting 290 off the fastball and they got knocked around minute made left and right i mean it's a game of adjust it's baseball you know game of adjustments guys i mean lance lynn if you're a fast if you're a fastball heavy pitcher and you know good and well that the astros hit the fastball better than anybody in the sport why in the world were 97 percent of your pitchers fastballs you know, out of the 76 pitches that, that you threw, you didn't realize, you know, after pitch number 42 that, hey, I may want to, you know, try something else, try my breaking pitches, you know, and try to, uh, you know, and try to catch the Astros hitters off guard. You're just going to sit up here and just stick with what you're comfortable with, but the fastballs just keep on throwing fastballs, expecting the Astros not to hit them out, not to hit them out of the ballpark and hit them left and right all over the outfield. I mean, bad job by Lance Lynn and bad job by the White Sox. Game of adjustments, game of adjustments, guys, especially in the postseason. If you know the Astros hit the fastball better than anybody in the sport, why the hell are you still continuing to throw them? It makes no, that made absolutely no sense in my eyes. And Randy and Rosarena, like I previously mentioned, the first player in Major League Baseball playoff history to hit a home run and steal home in the same game, which is also very, 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 very impressive. And then here's here's this other note before we get to the National League. Most home runs in a 20-game postseason span. Jim Tomey has 11. Carlos Beltran has 11. The Great Bambino has 12. Randy Rosarena, 11. Lights shine the brightest. When the lights shine the brightest come playoff time, Randy and Rosarena will be there for you. That is for sure. Moving over to the National League, uh, as we preview those, as we preview that series, which uh, which kicks off on Friday night um, or Friday afternoon and Friday night. Atlanta and Milwaukee is the first series. We'll save the Dodgers uh, series for last ten. Take a break, and then we get on to the and then we get on to the Seahawks Rams game from Thursday night. 
Um, the uh, you know it's gonna be a very interesting series. Nobody expected uh, the Braves to be there. You lost Osuna. You lost um, uh, Roberto Acuna Jr. with a torn ACL. You know they phenomenal job. Uh, now it did, now it helped that the fact that the Phillies and the Mets fell flat on their face. Um, you know, in the second half of the season, but hell of a job by them, hell of a job by Snitker. Nobody anticipated them to be there. Going against the Brewers, who have a whose starting pitching is one of the best in the sport. Corbin Burns is a Cy Young candidate, no doubt. You know, their lineup is very iffy. They're going to need uh, MVP Christian Yelich to show up if they want to make a deep playoff run. But, you know, good pitching stops good hitting, especially, especially in the postseason. And the Brewers can end up winning this series simply because of the fact that their starting pitching is just so freaking good. And then, of course, you have the, uh, and then, of course, you got the Braves, you know, who have the guys that they have in their lineup. Freddie Freeman, who's, you know, who's, as as great of a first baseman, as great as a player, that you, great as a position player, you're going to find in baseball that's sitting there in there in, throughout that lineup. They got Charlie Morton and Corbin Burns going in Game One tonight. Um, and then of course, Ozzy uh, Ozzy Albies, Ozzy Albies, excuse me, who's had a hell of a second half and a tremendous season. Um, they're going to need big time production out of you. Going to need the big time production out of him. And of course, like I said, with the Brewers, their lineup, you know, which is which isn't you know which isn't a uh, is going to make you shaking your boots. But if Christian Yelich shows up, you get nice production out of Colton Wong, Avisayo Garcia, and of course uh, Lorenzo Kane and Eduardo Escobar in the bottom half of that lineup. Ain't no reason why the Brewers shouldn't uh, move on and make another appearance in the National League Championship Series. And the other NLDS, which has which has the opportunity to be an absolute classic and really should be uh, to decide who wins the NL pennant. But hey, this this matchup really puts the uh, this matchup along with uh, Boston and Tampa really puts the divisional and divisional series as these two uh, as these two division rivals that date back to their days when they were in New York and then of course now in the state of California go at it you know first first to win three games ends up uh, extending their season eliminating their their hated division rival and ends up playing for and ends up. Uh, you know, playing for the right to win the National League championship and moving on to, to go to the World Series. Uh, first time ever in these two teams' franchises' history that they have met in playoff and uh, postseason play. Walker Buehler going in Game 1 for the Dodgers. Logan Webb going for the Giants. Giants are a franchise that nobody expected was going to be there, was going to be here. You know, no, this was a, you know, this was supposed to be a mediocre, him-haw, uh, re- rebuild, quote-unquote, type of season for the Giants. They came out there and shocked the world. Best record in all of baseball. Best record in the National League. Won their division by an eyelash. Had a had a six-month six uh, worth season of dominance. Absolutely phenomenal job. They got veterans throughout their they got veterans throughout their lineup. Um, you know who have been here before that you would figure. You know the way, typically the way baseball works would be on the. You know their skills would be on the decline. 
you know, the Buster Pose, the Buster Poseys of the world, the Brandon Crawfords, the Brandon Belts. You know, those three, those three guys are uh, those three guys. A, they're veterans, and those three guys also are the are the three lone remaining uh, factors, along with uh, along with Cueto as well. But those three guys are the are the are the focal points of their championship teams back in 2010, 12, and of course. As recently as 2014, seven has it been seven years. Yes, yeah, seven years ago, the last World Series championship uh, over the uh, Kansas City Royals in seven games with Crawford, Posey, Brandon Belt, who have somehow found a fountain of youth and are still playing at a high level, better, uh, you know, better than ever. Mike Yastrzemski is is channeling his grandfather with a tremendous season. Uh, with a good, not tremendous, but a good season he's had. 25 home runs, 71 RBIs, OPS of 7 of uh, 768. No Brandon Belt in this series for the Giants, but it evens itself out because there's going to be no Max Muncy in this series for the Dodgers either. Um, so it kind of levels out the playing field in that capacity. Brandon Crawford has had an absolutely phenomenal season, uh, hitting 298. 24 home runs, 90 RBIs, 11 stolen bases, hitting 895 OPS this season. What an absolute, what a job he's had. He's leading the team in on base percentage as well with 373. Leads the team in slugging, leads the team, like I said, in OPS. Hits, leads the team in doubles as well. Absolutely phenomenal job that he's had this season. And hey, it's going to be an all out boxing match. And I tell you something, because I haven't really brought this up. Of the wild card game between the Dodgers and the Cardinals, and I might as well kind of intertwine this with the uh, with this uh, division preview. You know, Cody Bellinger, who had a phenomenal game, you know, who you know whose season was very was you know subpar, is putting it lightly, uh, but you know did not have a did not have an MVP caliber season by any set stretch of circumstances. Had an absolutely phenomenal night Wednesday night in the Dodgers three one win. Um, had a clutch walk in the bottom of the ninth inning, stole a base, which put the winning run in scoring position 180 feet away uh, from victory. Had, a, had an absolutely fantastic game, went one for two, walked twice, had two clutch key stolen bases, and that and that at bat he had in the bottom of the ninth inning where he worked the count, was patient, let the game come to him, and ended up and ended up drawing the uh, ended up drawing the walk and put the winning run in the uh, winning run on base in the bottom of the ninth inning. I said to myself, if Cody Bellinger has had bats like that where he's not where he's not trying to do too much, lets the game come to him, and doesn't try to blow the game open or uh, or make a big play with one big ginormous hack. You know he can end up being the difference maker, uh, and it can end up being uh, their most viable player if they ended up making it back to the World Series and repeating as World Series champions. He had a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal at bat in the bottom of the ninth inning. Worked the count, let the game come to him, relax, took it easy, drew a walk. You know that's you know in postseason play that's how you win baseball games. The small ball, the small ball of working the count, getting base runners on by drawing walks, stealing bases. That's that's how you win championships in October. You know from a once from April to September. You know the the game's kind of gotten away from that. 
But playoff baseball is an entirely different animal than regular season baseball. And playoff baseball, you're not always gonna, you know, the home run, the home run ball in the playoffs does not, does, it's not a shoe in guarantee of winning a championship. You got to be able to, you got to be able to to win games and know how to manufacture runs by bunting, having long at bats, working the pitcher's pitch count, drawing walks. And getting on base by any means necessary. And if you have the ability to steal base, have some movement on the base paths and end up stealing a couple of bases here and there. That's how you win baseball games uh, in the playoffs, unlike, you know, unlike you do in the regular season. And Cody Ballinger did that, which is one of the reasons why they won that game on top of Chris Taylor, who was in an eight for seventy something slump, was absolutely horrendous, you know, in the back in the back end of the regular season, had a clutch two run walk off home run to uh, extend the Dodgers season for a minimum three more games and and the right for them to go up against their division rivals and the most anticipated NLDS going up against the uh, the uh, over a hundred win San Francisco Giants. But that was a, but if Cody Ballinger plays like that in this series and his teammates follow suit, they'll be successful against the Giants in this best of five series. So you just keep that you just keep that in mind. Um, and, then of, and then of course you know the Dodgers have tremendous starting pitching. Their bullpen was good. Trinan you know Trinan made you sweat, made you a little nervous, but he hung in there. Joe Kelly had a phenomenal two two thirds innings of work. Kenley Jansen looks like he still has it. You know, is there moments of worry? You know, as he's probably going to get more used in the late as we go deeper and deeper in the postseason. Yes, but he you know looks like he hadn't skipped the beat top of the the ninth inning was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it was absolutely phenomenal going up against that Cardinal lineup. And I tell you this, you know, and I was thinking to myself, if you're Dave Roberts, you know, if you're Dave Roberts, you do not want your season in which you came in second place by a game, and you won, and you're the, the defending World Series champion. You won 106 games. You did not want to essentially have your season last, you know, one day longer than the 110 loss Arizona Diamondbacks. And you didn't want your season to end, you know, losing to a team that losing to a team that won, you know, uh, 16 less games than you did. But I guarantee you in the back of his mind, he was he did not want that game against uh, the Cardinals to go into extra innings. Because the last thing you wanted to do was to use up your bullpen, especially because Serger didn't go deep. He didn't make it out of the fifth inning on Wednesday night. You did not want to use, and, and I understand that they had a couple, that they had two days off prior to this game. They were going to have a day off heading into uh, and prior to game one against the Giants in San Francisco, but you did not want to use up your bullpen and tax your bullpen to win this do to win this do or die game and then you know so, to put yourself in a situation where you know where you're in a win lose situation where if you win it, great, your season's still alive. You live to see three more games at the minimum. You move on to see another you move on to the next round. You win the game, whole nine yards 
but then on the back end, your bullpen is your bullpen is taxed, and you're going up against and you're going up against the you know the best team in the sport regular season record wise in the Giants, who have you know who haven't played a game since who haven't played a game since uh, Sunday, who's fully who's fully rested, ready to go, and you're still you know huffing and puffing, still trying to catch your breath from the marathon uh, from the marathon chess match against the. Uh, Against the uh, Cardinals, forty-eight hours prior. So I, I would imagine Dave Roberts was like, "Please, guys, please win this game in less than ten innings, so I don't have to go further and further and go deeper and deeper into the bullpen." Because if you saw, you had they had they were they were going to be they were all if it wasn't for Chris Taylor, they were going to be forced into the situation where they had to use Julio Urias coming out of the bullpen if the game if the game would have went into extra innings and I, and I guarantee that was the last thing Dave Roberts wanted to do and then all of a sudden your rotation is thrown on its axis and essentially you're playing with one hand behind your back heading into that divisional series against the Giants later on this weekend so I guarantee you Dave Roberts was thanking the good Lord that uh, Chris Taylor hit that ball out when he did because the last thing he wanted to do was go deeper and deeper into his bullpen throw his rotation and throw his pitching staff on its on its side by throwing in Julio Urias because they was you know because they were desperate as they you know rightfully so because you know it's 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 a winner go home playoff uh, setting you know trying to uh, scratch and claw and fight tooth and nail in a one one game going up against the uh, ninety two win or excuse me the ninety one uh, St Louis Cardinals on Wednesday night but that series has the potential of being all time all excuse me all time classic series all time. If you want a prediction, Dodgers win in five. And for the Brewers and the uh, Braves, I will go, I think I had the Brewers moving on in my bracket. Want to check me double in just to, uh, just to be sure so I'm consistent on this. And if you want a prediction, the other one, you, I have the. I know how many games. I just want to make sure I just get the team correct. Uh, right, I had the Brewers. Brewers, or no, excuse me, I had the Braves one in this series. Braves, because of the fact they've been forced to play with adversity, you know, thus far, I'll go Braves and four. Braves in four, Dodgers in five. Meet up in the NLCS. In the ALCS, in case you're curious, Tampa in four, Astros in a sweep. Take a break. Get to the NFL. Thursday night football. Much to be discussed about that. Coming up on the Amtelicatelius podcast. Yeah, baby. 
dog, you what I am. A hip hop legend, I think I died in an accident, cause this must be heaven. I gotta testify, come up in the spot looking extra fly. For the day I die, I'ma test the sky. Gotta testify, come up in the spot looking extra fly. For the day I die, I'ma test the sky. Now let's Welcome back to the I'm Telling TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the National Football League and recap the Thursday night game that was between the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. Um, got as the Rams take care of business and prove the 4-1 on the season, 2-0 on the road by the final score of 26-17. Uh, let me just give you a couple of thoughts. Uh, first off, uh, unlike what uh, Mike and the OC tried to tell me, uh, and God bless him, you know, he's my pal and I love him and he's a phenomenal, con- you know, contributes to the show every now and again. And, and uh, he tried to convince me after the game on uh, on Thursday night that, well, it wasn't, well, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a lucky victory. Mike, 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 when you, and I told him this on Twitter and I'll, and I'll vocalize this and I'll say it here on the air, you know. When your kicker, Matt Gay, kicks the ball out of bounds, which is a penalty, kicks has two illegal kick-out-of-bounds penalties, not one of them, but two of them, misses an extra point, and your defense let Geno Smith, who hadn't played, who hadn't conducted a touchdown drive in two years, you cannot, in any circumstances, let Geno Smith March 98 yards down the field on that quote-unquote vaunted defense, which has many a holes in it, by the way, cannot under any circumstances let Geno Smith march down the field 98 yards and score a touchdown to put the Seahawks within a score. You, 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 you cannot under any circumstances have your defense allow that to happen. Your kicker misses an extra point and kicks the ball out of bounds twice. Twice coming off of Rams scores to give Seattle perfect field position with the ball at their 40-yard line, and you win the game less than by less than 10 points and not call it lucky. The Rams played a much better. The Rams played a much more well-rounded game against the Bears that they won. They played a much more well-rounded game in Week Two against the Colts. Now they weren't perfect against the Colts, but they played better against the Colts in Week Two. Best game of the season that I've seen them play was Week Three against was uh, was against Tampa. They were not good against the Cardinals, and they weren't that much better against the Seahawks. It's the fact that the Seahawks. It's the fact that the Seahawks defense is so, is a sieve was a sieve in the second half and would run around all over the place. I don't know what in the world is wrong with with Jamal Adams who stinks. Oh my goodness, is Jamal Adams so overrated? He had no idea what he was doing on the uh, on the on one of Deshaun Jackson's deep balls. They leave a Tyler Higby wide open. Robert Woods absolutely destroyed him. Twelve receptions for 150 yards on 14 to on 14 targets. Cooper Cup destroyed him. Seven receptions for 92 yards. Deshaun Jackson killed him on that 64-yard deep bomb uh, in the second and later on in the second half. I mean, and Matthew Stafford should have thrown for 500 yards against that Seattle Seahawks defense and their secondary, which is an absolute disgrace. It's like switch. Shit. 
Jeez. I mean, if 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 Cam Ken Norton needs needs to be needs to go. I'm sorry. I understand that you know it, that isn't necessarily Norton's fault for the fact that it isn't Norton necessary to blame for Jamal Adams being so overrated and having his head on a swivel, not knowing where to line up at and getting and getting burnt deep and you know in pass coverage. I understand all that and the weak zone that they played. I get that, but my goodness, something's got to give. I mean. This team went from the Legion of Boom of 2013 to 2014 to being the Legion of Doom and the defensive equivalent of a bunch of Swiss cheese out there on the football field. I mean, if Matthew Stafford was 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 a better quarterback than people hype him up to be, he should he there's no reason why Matthew Stafford shouldn't have went. You know, he threw the ball 37 times. Matthew Stafford should have went should have went 32 for 37, threw for 500 yards and three touchdown passes in the game and zero interceptions because their defense in the second half especially was abs- was an absolute disgrace on Seattle's part was disgraceful and I have no idea I mean was Matthew Stafford was Matthew Stafford in Detroit and we went and we didn't realize it I mean it was like the old the, the Matthew Stafford that me and all the other people that that stand up on a soapbox and say Matthew Stafford's overrated that Matthew Stafford showed up in the first half because that because the Matthew Stafford I saw in the first half was inaccurate as all get out could not hit his receivers you know if nobody was open he had to chuck the ball towards the sideline I have no idea what his thought process was on that Quandre Diggs interception inside the red zone, and I, I think that was either the first or the uh, second. No, that was the in the first quarter with three twelve to go in the in, inside of Seattle's or uh, inside of the red zone inside Seattle's twenty yard line. I have no idea what was Stafford's thought process when he when he tried to force a ball that had no business being thrown uh, into the field of play, trying to hit whoever the heck he was trying to hit in a top right-hand corner of the end zone. That ball should have never been thrown. I don't know what the heck Stafford was looking at and what he saw and wore, or what he thought he saw on that play. I mean, the Seahawks defense literally, I mean, I, I, it was like I was looking at Richard Sherman, uh, Richard Sherman, uh, Byron Maxwell, uh, Earl, Earl Thomas, uh, Michael, ba- I mean, it was like it was like they made the, they made the Seahawks defense look like the Legion of Boom out there in the first half was absolutely pathetic. Matthew Stafford, horrendous in the first half. And if he should have thrown for 500 yards because they come at because the Seahawks defense comes out of the half, and what happens? They allow the Rams to put up 23 points in the second half. 13 in the third, 10 in the fourth quarter. Was absolutely horrendous in the second half. Garbage, the defense. Stinks. Jamal Adams, terrible. It was a lucky win, because typically, because typically, when you know when you piss away a whole bunch of uh, opportunities to score early in the game, especially inside your opponent's red zone, you have a red zone interception. Your kicker can't make an extra point. Not to mention, you can't kick the ball in between the white lines on a kickoff with two illegal kicks out of bounds in a game. Typically, the team that does that nine times out of ten, they don't deserve to win the game, and they don't. And, and odds are, they don't end up winning the game when the clock hits triple zeros at the end of the fourth quarter. They were fortunate, fortunate to win that game because Seattle essentially beat themselves. But I mean, both quarterbacks hurt their fingers in the game. Both Stafford hurt his. 
Russell Wilson hurt his. It just it could have just as easily been the other way around, where Stafford doesn't play the rest of the game and Russell Wilson does. Could it just as easily been the other way around? A lucky, fortunate victory for the Rams. They've played better in the first, prior to, to prior to Thursday night. They've they they've had they've had and they've played better games, and they have the ability of playing better games than they did on Thursday night. Their defense showed up. Their defense showed up in the first half, but their defense in the fourth quarter, the Rams, that is, was absolutely horrendous. How in the world do you let Geno Smith come off the bench and put together a 98-yard touchdown drive, like 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 it's like it's nothing? And then on the offensive side, how do you allow that despicable Seahawks defense look like the Legion of Boom in the first half? Matthew Stafford inaccurate, goal line or red zone interception. Kicker can't make an extra point, can't kick the ball inbounds on two occasions on the kickoff. And I don't want to sit up here and, 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 hear, and hear Rams apologists or hear Rams fans sit up here and make excuses on a double punt by Michael Dixon. That was legal. The line of scrimmage was at the Seahawks' 21-yard line. Ball was blocked. A slick, nice, one-handed scoop of the football. Tried to run for the first down. Said, I'll screw it. Got to the 21-yard line. Stopped and punted the, and punted the ball and pinned the Rams deep inside their own territory. It was a legal punt. Look at where the line of scrimmage is at the snap, and look at where Dixon is standing. He is standing, not further, and if you're standing on, it doesn't mean you're, you're past the line of scrimmage. You, you get all the space you got up until the line of scrimmage. He punted the ball exactly on the line of scrimmage. The refs didn't get it, didn't get it wrong for once in their lives after they caught a, a, a pathetic Roughing the passer penalty on Aaron Donald in the first half. They didn't, they didn't get it wrong. They get they got this one right. He punted the ball at the 21-yard line, which was the original line of scrimmage from which the ball was snapped. If you think not, go look at the play again and pay attention. It was a legal, it was a legal punt. It was a legal punt. And it was a lucky win for the Rams. Because 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 if because if this was the twenty thirteen or fourteen Seahawks or even fifteen Seahawks they're playing, Rams do not win that football game. The Seahawks are not a buttoned up championship level football team like we've been accustomed to seeing them for the last few years, dating back to twenty thirteen. They're not buttoned up. They don't fit when when their defense does once a, once a balloon moon make plays. Their offense can't cash in on it. We saw it in the first quarter against against the 49ers. Seahawks got the Seahawks made that clutch uh, red zone interception and got the ball back with three with three minutes and change in the first quarter. Seahawks could not put any points on the board. Their kicker misses a field goal at the end of the first half. Which hurt them. They can't finish off drives. I got their offensive coordinator on third and longs calling run plays. I mean, are you kidding me? 
know what I don't know what I don't know whether it's Wilson, the the, the two coordinators, or or is it Pete Carroll? But Seahawks might be in some trouble. And they're not playing even at the even when even in the past where they've where they look like a Super Bowl contender in the in the first two months of the season. They you know, they the Seahawks look pretty good. And they, and you know, November comes and they kinda, you know, become stagnant a little bit. That's not even the case with them now. That's that's not that's not the case with them now. Not the case. Not buttoned up. They can't finish drives. Play calling horrendous. Can't run the ball. Their defense stinks. Too much separation with their receivers in the tight ends. Getting killed by the deep ball left and right. Issues for the Seahawks. I know who to blame. Whether it's Carroll, Norton, the new offensive coordinator, Russell Wilson. I don't know. But changes have to be made before their season slips away from them. That that is that's what I'm sure of. Because if that was the 2013, 14, or 15 Seahawks, Rams do not win that football game. Rams came out flat as a pancake in the first half. Were flat. Were fortunate that that halftime score that they were only down what? Uh, they were only down four heading into halftime. They should have went in a halftime down 17 to 21 nothing if the Seahawks offense was any good outside of DK Metcalf who was fantastic and Geno Smith who had a few nice little moments of glory. I've seen the Rams play better and they have the capability of playing better. Matthew Stafford was pathetic in the first half. Their offense in general was horrendous in the first half. Now they made up for it in the second half but then their defense stalled and their defense went out to lunch and decided, hey, let's let Geno Smith you know, march down the field 98 yards like it's nothing and, and score a touchdown. Championship defenses don't allow backup quarterbacks you know, who haven't had game action God knows how long come off the bench, you know, especially when the team is down and march down the field 98 yards like it's clockwork and, score, and then they let them score a touchdown. Again, more like the Rams beat the Seahawks by 17, 21, 24. They, had, they, they played Seattle better in the playoff game back in January than they did on Thursday night. And that is fact. If you, if you think not, you don't know what you're talking about. They played a much better game against the Seahawks when Russell Wilson played for the full fourth quarters than, than they didn't when Russell Wilson only played the three last night. They've played Seattle better than this. In the past, and they have the capability of playing Seattle better than this in the in the upcoming future. If you think that if you think that was a fantastic, oh wow, Rams are back up being Rams are back in a conversation as Super Bowl contenders after that performance last night. You need your head examined. Their defense was their defense was 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 not great in the fourth quarter, especially their offense was out the lunch in the first half. Their kicker can't kick the ball in between the uprights or in between the white lines on the kickoff. And their offensive coordinator in the first half, I guess, likes you know monkey see monkey do with the Seahawks, and decides, hey, on third, and, hey, on third and long, let's run it. 
when we got you know when we got one of the one still one of the game's best deep threats deep threats when he does play and Deshaun Jackson and we're playing Matthew and we traded for Matthew Stafford but uh, you know what let's run it on third and long really and the Seahawks are in trouble that too they they got Pittsburgh on Sunday night next week which they should which which should be a game for them to win they got the Saints should be a one they got the Saints which should be a winnable game. Jacksonville who should be a winnable game. And but then it gets tougher because they get because they get Green Bay on the 14th, who they never beat. They get Green Bay on the 14th, Arizona, Washington, San Francisco. So they got a couple of winnable games, which they need, because they need they need to take care of business and win those games, or else their season's gonna go up in smoke. And good thing that the Seahawks essentially have as much time off you could have without having a bye week. A Thursday night game followed by a Monday night game. Allow Russell Wilson to get that finger checked out, get that finger to uh, heal properly. Take a break. Get to week five in the National Football League coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Sticking with the NFL as we uh, get to uh, a couple of items of business here as we close out this program here on a Friday. Um, do Urban Ma? I got, you know, I'm late to the party uh, with Urban Ma just because there's so much that was going on across the sports world that I didn't have time to address the Urban Meyer fiasco. And then we'll get to uh, week five of the NFL and picks and then go about our merry way. Uh, real quick, before I get into Urban Mind, just finishing off my last point, last segment on the Seahawks. Seahawks are allowing 450 yards per game this season. That's on pace to be the worst in NFL history. And oh, by the way, that still would stand if we were still going through our regular, what should be still and at this moment in time, 16-game um, NFL regular season schedule. The Seahawks would still be on pace to uh, have the worst defense as far as yard allowage in NFL history. Jamal Adams, the overrated piece of garbage they gave up that big play to Deshaun Jackson the other night. Highest paid safety in the NFL, had zero sacks on the season. I digress. Anyway, let's switch gears to Urban Meyer and just for me to sound off on what has just been absolutely disgraceful on his part um, his tenure as Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. Of course, he um, he and the Jaguars lost to my Bengals last Thursday night by the final score of 24-21. 0-4, the Jacksonville Jaguars are heading into Sunday's uh, matchup against the Tennessee Titans. And of course, and then two days later, you saw a video of Urban Meyer hanging out with young women and having a woman grind on him while he was sitting on a, at a bar stool that made its way over, uh, made its way on social media and was trending and everything else. Uh, let me just give you my two cents on this. Okay, Urban Meyer deserves to be gone. And Shad Khan, the statement that he released earlier in this week, earlier this week, basically sending a message that Urban Meyer has two strikes on him. 
But in my opinion, if I was Shad Khan, the owner of Jacksonville Jaguars, I'd kick his hind putts out. I would have kicked his hind putts out the door earlier this week. Let me just go through a litany, a list of everything Urban Meyer has done wrong since he's been the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He hired Chris Doyle as the team's director of sports performance, who has a history of making racist comments and belittling uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes players during his time at the University of Iowa, forcing Doyle to resign. He showed immense levels of nepotism and favoritism by signing Tim Tebow as a tight end at the start of training camp. He drafted a running back in the first round in Travis Etienne, who not his fault, but will be gone for the rest what will be gone for the 2021 season, um, despite having James Robinson on the roster. He openly admitted that he was hoping to draft Kadarius Tony with the pick that they use on having Travis Etienne already drafted. Um, he had an open competition with between Trevor Lawrence and Garner Minshew during training camp when everybody knows that Trevor Lawrence is the future of the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise. First overall pick, he is the future, and yet you're still farting around with Garner Minshew, who we already know what we're dealing with because we've seen him play uh, start because we've seen him be uh, the QB one for the Jacksonville Jaguars in seasons prior. Furthermore, he traded away. Uh, he traded away uh, last year's number nine, or excuse me, this past draft's ninth overall pick. They've started 0-4, obviously speaking. Uh, well, the Jaguars traded away last year's number nine overall pick, I should say. Uh, did he? They started 0-4, obviously. They have a crushing loss. They were up. Let me go back and um, and go back and reevaluate that game one last time because the Bengals were a sieve and did not show up in the first half. And Urban Meyer and his ball club went out there and had a tremendous first half uh, going into halftime with a 14 to nothing lead against the Bengals and, proceed, and proceeded to get outscored 24-7 to in the second half. Dropped the 0-4. Evan McPherson kicks a game-winning field goal. He did not travel with the team on the team plane back to Jacksonville after the week four loss. Stays behind in Columbus because he's got family there. He's got like a restaurant in Columbus. Big Ohio guy. You know, grew up a Bengals fan, so he he does have a he does have a great a great connection to the state of Ohio. Stays behind, lets a woman grind on him. It gets caught on social media, takes a selfie with the woman, and all of a sudden it goes viral. He trends on social media all over the place. Jokes are made about him, and all of a sudden you have this, and all of a sudden you have this uh, ginormous fiasco. Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer needed to be fired earlier this week. And don't sit up here and tell me that well, cancel culture. This cancel. I'm not canceling Urban Meyer. Okay, I'm not. I'm not, can, I'm not canceling him. Okay, did did he did he commit a heinous crime? No. You know, it, should he have cheated on his wife and and had that, and had those moments of infidelity? Is that immoral? Is that morally corrupt? Yes, it is. But to a certain degree, it has nothing to do about the football team. But it does, considering the fact that you're owing for you haven't won anything in the NFL yet. Uh, you didn't get back on the plane and fly back to Jacksonville with the team after that. After not soul crushing, but after that. 
uh, immense defeat where you let Joe Burrow march down the field as if he's uh, Boomer Sight, as if he was Boomer Sight, and you let you let him march down the field with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, take the lead. You got outscored twenty four to twenty four to seven in the second half, and you lost the game, and you and your defense completely imploded, and your offense was stagnant. And yet he blows off the team, blows off, you know, sitting with Trevor Lawrence on the plane on the Microsoft Surface tablet, going through film and going through what they did wrong as an offense, as a team. He blows the, he blows off Trevor Lawrence, blows off the Jaguar players. I ah, screw you. I'm Mr. Philanthropist, Mr. Restaurateur, Mr. Businessman. I got to be seen. I'll stay behind in Ohio a couple of days, drive up to Columbus and have, and have some... 20, 30-some-year-old chick grind on me while I'm at the bar stool in my uh, Ohio State, in my red Ohio State quarter zip. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. It's a joke, and it's an absolute disgrace. And if it was my football team, he would have been, he, he been, been fired Sunday morning. Would have been fired Sunday morning at the latest. Who would have been fired on Tuesday? Because if you, if because if you're the head coach of my football team with my play, you know, you're you're supposed to set the example. You're the coach. You're the you're the boss among that locker room. You're the guy everybody re, re, reports to and supposed to look up to and respect. And you're supposed to set the tone of 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 uh, and, and set some sort of standard within the team. And you're sitting up here, you know, blowing off the team after a loss because. Because you want to be grinded on by a woman that's half your age in your restaurant. I mean, give me a break. I mean, you're supposed to set the example. We talk about athletes being role models all the time. It's no different with the head coach. If we if we have the expectation that the players the, that 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 the football players and the athletes aren't going to get themselves sh- uh, should keep themselves out of trouble and should carry themselves and uh, live their lives like model citizens, why why shouldn't the same go for Urban Meyer? Now, I understand Urban Meyer, you know, it, this wasn't a D, this wasn't a DUI, this wasn't a domestic violence issue, this wasn't uh you know this wasn't assault, this wasn't or and or like the player he coached down at. Florida, Florida. This wasn't an Aaron Hernandez case, uh, being a murderer and going off killing people. But still, it's it's still a bad look, and you still should expect better from your head coach. Okay, just because just because he didn't commit an actual crime, that doesn't mean that what he did was right, or 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 you should condone what he did just because it was just because a, just just because it wasn't a crime by the letter of the law. It's not against the law to cheat on your wife, but should you do it? No. When you have commitments and you're supposed to set the example and be the rallying cry for your football team after a tough loss like that, fly on a plane ride back to Jacksonville. You don't you don't blow them off so you can quote unquote build your brand or whatever the heck he was his idea was hanging out at that restaurant last weekend. You don't do that. And if it was my football team, he would have been axed earlier in the week. No questions asked. You stink, you haven't won a game, and you're going to sit up here with the temerity, the audacity, the the chutzpah, and the unmitigated gall to blow off the team plane so you can get grinded on and have your face seen and get your picture taken at your restaurant in Columbus, Ohio? Are you kidding me? My team, he would have been fired. If it was me. Now, Shotgun is going to be on a short leash for the rest of the season. 
Shad Khan already, you know, uh, made, made, the, made the lines perfectly clear where he stands. But if it was me, if it was me, if I was running the Jacksonville Jaguars, he would have been fired out on his hind parts Sunday morning. Would have been a big, would have been a bigger story than uh, you know. Would have been a bigger story than Sam Darnold leading the NFL in, in rushing touchdowns. Would have been fired Sunday morning if it was my team, especially considering how you know the last whatever it might be his 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 uh, tenure as Jacksonville Jaguars head coach hasn't exactly been uh, peaches and cream. From the racist conditioning coach to the to having a competition between Lawrence and Mitchell in training camp to, to wasting everybody's time with Tim Tebow. I mean, give me a break, please, please, please. A couple of housekeeping notes. I did say last week we're interested to see if Brady's return, uh, you know, would make a huge dent as far as highest rated Sunday Night Football game of all time. It was the uh, it was the it was the uh, it was the second most it was the second most watched Sunday Night Football game of all time, uh, coming in second behind the 2012 NFC East Championship game, Week 17 between the Redskins and Washington. That is still the most watched NBC Sunday Night Football game of all time, and that game was the most watched Sunday Night Football game since that game back in late December. Of uh, two th- of uh, two thousand and twelve, so I wanted to get. I forgot to bring that up to you guys on Wednesday, um, so I bring it up here now here at the top. And of course, Seahawks first loss in their all green uniforms, their colorless uniforms, if you care, and their first loss on Thursday night football since week seven of two thousand twelve. That was Russell Wilson's. Uh, that was Russell Wilson's rookie year. So we just to get a little housekeeping. Uh, items to address here at the program. Uh, week five preview. You know, there's only one. The, the games on Sunday are not that great. You know, there's one good game if you can call it that. That you that you know, if you don't have, if you're not watching your own team play, you would sit up there and watch. It would be the Packers versus the Bengals. Bengals are three and one in first place in the AFC North. Packers in first place, three and one in the NFC North. Of course, is Aaron Rodgers who don't want to watch him play. Um, Bengals have won three out of their last four games against the Green Bay Packers. The most recent meeting was in Lambeau back in September 2017, in which the Packers took care of business against the Bengals. That is the best game at one o'clock. Um, Saints Saints in Washington is a close second. Broncos and Steelers. You know, if you love watching defensive football, go knock yourself out. Lions, Vikings, uh-uh. Patriots, Texans, uh-uh. Dolphins, Buccaneers could be a bloodbath. Uh, di- didn't expect it to be when the schedule first came out, but the Dolphins look like they're going, they're going nowhere fast. Not to mention, uh, you know, not to mention, uh, you know, who wants to watch Jacoby Brissett play? Uh, Eagles and Panthers, no. Titans, Jaguars, Eh, and, you know, the Titans coming off of their loss against the Jets and then see how the Jaguars respond with this Urban Meyer nonsense. So, 
you know, J Titans and Jaguars, Titans and Jaguars, Saints and Washington is a close second and third. But the best game in a one o'clock window was Packers Bengals. If you want to wake up at nine thirty on a Sunday morning to watch garbage football with the Jets and the Falcons, go knock yourself out. And then the four o'clock games, it's Browns Chargers is the best one out of is the best one out of the window. 49ers Cardinals is the second. Giants Cowboys is the third. Bears and Raiders is the fourth. Then you got a good Sunday night game with the Bills and the Chiefs. And then you have the Colts and the Ravens on Monday night. But the Sunday window of games are not that great. You know, me personally, come one o'clock, you know, me one o'clock, I'm going to give uh, about 90% 90, 90 of my attention span for the baseball starts at four. Give 90% of my attention span to Packers and Bengals. If, uh, if Saints, if Saints, if Saints versus Washington or or Dolphins Buccaneers is interesting, I'll check. Or Titans Jaguars is interesting. I'll, I'll check on it via the Sunday ticket. But the best game of the weekend, and it helps because my team is playing in it. Uh, in the week, in the one o'clock window is Packers and Bengals, and in the four o'clock games, the best ones are Browns Chargers, Browns Chargers, Forty Niners Cardinals. Uh, Giants, Cowboys, Raiders, Bears in that order. At least, Ra you know, see how the Raiders respond after their first loss of the season, and Justin Fields is going to get is in line to start his first career NFL start for the Chicago Bears. Jair Alexander will not play Sunday. He's their start. He's the Packers star cornerback. He will not play along with the Packers starting center. He is out too. Garoppolo did not practice uh, on Friday, setting up Trey Lance to get the start for Arizona. Uh, Julio Jones is a v v uh, via the mouth of Mike Vrabel. He will not play in their game against the uh, Jaguars on Sunday suggest so just a couple of injury uh, housekeeping news to, to address. Uh, you know, do Packers, Bengals, and work my way down the list. Um, Packers and Bengals going to be a very interesting and intriguing football game. The Bengals recently have had success. Uh, you know, at least well, this is back when Marvin Lewis was at the helm. But they have had success against the Green Bay Packers in the past. Like I said, they've won three out of the last four. Last time the Bengals were in Green were in, or excuse me, last time the Packers were in Cincinnati, uh, they uh, took care of business against them. I believe that was in two, either two thousand. Uh, I think I was either thirteen or fourteen. I cannot. Rem I cannot remember. Um, you know the year, but the last time the Packers were in Cincinnati, Bengals won. Um, you know the Packers coming off of a dominant victory across, or excuse me, over the Steelers who stink. Um, if the Packers win this game, whoop de do they're supposed to. If the Bengals win this game, it's really going to it's really going to uh, widen some eyes and make people stand up, sit up straight, and be like, "Oh, holy crap! The Bengals just took down the Green Bay Packers." You know, they could they could legitimately be a super not Super Bowl contender, but they could legitimately be a playoff ten, a contender that needs to be taken seriously from here on out. So it's a tremendous. Uh, it, it, you know, there's no upside. You know, the, here's well, here. Let me break it down for you. Packer, if the Packers lose, you know, if the Packers lose, it's going to be, it's going to, be, depending on how they lose, you know, it could be taken out of out of context to the tenth to the uh, to the tenth degree. If you know, if they lose because the defense kind of lets them down, and Aaron Rodgers plays well, you know, it is what it is. Um, but if the Packers win, you know, no one will go nuts. 
Um, and if the Bengals win, if the Bengals win, it will capture the attention and the eyes of of the foot of the football world across the country, and it will make it will make uh, many uh, football fans and football prognosticators sit sit up in their chair and say, "Oh, holy crap! The Bengals are actually a good football team now. They could end up being uh, playoff contenders when it's all said and done." So, and if the Bengals lose this game. You know, you're playing Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl contending Green, Green Bay Packers. If you lose this game, it's understandable. You're three and one, not one and three. Won't be the end of the world if you lose this game. I don't expect them to win this game. If they win this game, I will be floored. I will be shocked. Uh, they'll shock my pants off. If they somehow uh, win this game, but they get. But the ba- the Bengals have nothing. They have nothing to lose by losing this game, and. And uh, all the gain by winning this game. Packers is the exact opposite. They win this game, they get, they get you know they get nothing. Uh, nice when you beat the Bengals. Congratulations. If they lose this game, especially you know if Aaron Rodgers plays sloppy and their defense implodes, you will hear about it. You will hear about it for a good week. You know, man. Aaron Rodgers. Huh? It'll be like a it'll be a talking point on all the major uh, national cable. Cable uh, sports shows. You won't. You won't hear enough of it. You know, which was part. Which part of me. Which part of me. I don't like to see because if the Bengals do pull off the upset and beat Green Bay, Green Bay's favored by three. If they do pull off the upset, I don't want to. See, you know, I'd like to hear the. I'd like to hear more Bengal praise than Aaron Rodgers slash Green Bay Packers slander. But we all know that if the Packers do lose this game, you'll hear more slander and hear more negative. Packer talk, and then you'll hear positive Bengal talk. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. Um, it's funny also, too, you look at Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow through their first 14 starts. Aaron Rodgers had a 5-9 and nine record through his, first four, through his first 14 starts as an NFL starting quarterback. Joe Burrow, 5-8-1, eerily similar. Rodgers completed 63.5% of his passes, averaging 247 passing yards a game, 23 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Joe Burrow... 262 uh, average passing yards, 22 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Something to keep your eye on if you're a uh, Cincinnati Bengals fan. Um, but you know, it's going to be a very interesting game. You know, no Jair Alexander, which will help Cincinnati. Um, Packers starting center is out as well, which is an advantage for the Bengals too. Um, uh, you know, Joe, uh, Jesse, uh, as far as Joe Mixon, he, uh, he's listed as questionable. The Bengals will see how he's playing, um, or not how he's, not how he's playing, but how he's doing come Saturday and they'll make the, their decision on how Mixon's play, how Mixon's feeling by Saturday. Um, uh, T Higgins has a uh, practice and it looked nice all week. He will play Sunday. Um, I'm not sure. And let me see if I can find that out for you guys. I'm not sure on the status of Jesse Bates. Let's see. He did say Thursday he'd love to pick off Aaron Rodgers and uh, get his autograph. Let's see, injury report. Um, uh, Let's see. He was a full participation in practice on Wednesday, Jesse Bates was, um, let me see if I can see, let me see, let me see, let me see, looks like Jesse Bates, I want to confirm this for you, 
looks like Jesse Bates will be a go on Sunday. Looks like it, which will be which is a positive from a Cincinnati Bengals standpoint. Going to be a very interesting game. Should be a good game too. And it should be should be a very very good, intriguing, interesting football game. Uh, come Sunday afternoon, Burrow versus Rodgers should be in for a treat. Um, and then, of course, you got the Browns and the Chargers. Browns coming off of their defensive, and I do mean defensive, win against the uh, against the Minnesota Vikings last week. They go to L.A. to play the Chargers, who previously uh, dethroned the uh, the one sole undefeated team, the AFC, and the Vegas Raiders. Um, Justin Herbert is playing at an absolute phenomenal level. Browns defense has show you know showed up. They put they you know the pack the uh, Vikings de- uh, offense rather, who was absolutely electric uh, the first few weeks of the season, got shut down by Miles Garrett, who and who's having himself a hell of a season so far in 2021 in that uh, defensive pass rush for Cleveland. Their offense, I'm very concerned about with their offense. You know, you're hearing Odell has played with the torn labrum from quite some time. Baker is playing with the torn labrum, you know, and the in the you know, and you wonder if the Odell uh Baker Mayfield connection is just not meant to be. Very concerned about very concerned about that. Will there be times where their offense stalls out? They won't be able to put some points on the board. Defense gets tired having to go out there three and out, three and out, three and out, and eventually Herbert takes advantage of that. Marches down the field with Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, who had a hell of a game on Monday night against Vegas, and the Chargers go out there and win themselves yet another football game and uh, and kind of keep the pressure on the Kansas City Chiefs in the A- and the Raiders, for that matter, in the AFC West remains to be seen. 49ers and the Cardinals. 49ers coming off of their loss against the Seahawks on Sunday. Trey Lance is in the line to start. We'll see uh, if uh, if all the hype, uh, you know, if all the hype was worth it, if, if, you know, if he can live up to the hype. Uh, no Jimmy Garoppolo with the calf injury against Seattle last week remains to be seen. Also want to see the 49ers defense play a little bit better. Where uh, were a sieve, especially in that final drive against the Packers two weeks ago. Last week when they let Les- when they let Russell Wilson go nuts after their offense when when uh, consecutive drives when uh, had a handful of consecutive drives to begin the game without a touchdown and then they collapsed all over themselves. Want to see the 49 defense step up. See Nick Bosa. You know, make his presence felt in the game. Put the pressure on Kyler Murray and uh, and uh, Cliff Kingsbury early. And then, from a Cardinals perspective, their high flying offense. They're the only undefeated team remaining in football. Um, Kyler Murray has played all played out of his mind. AJ Green had nice contributions in their win against the Rams in LA last week. Uh, should be a very intriguing and exciting NFC West division uh, divisional uh, matchup. Come 425 on Sunday afternoon. Then the Sunday night game between the Bills and the Chiefs. Bills, you know, you know, they've had two shutouts throughout the first four weeks of the season. I'm not going to uh, wave the pom-poms for the Bills defense just yet because of the fact that they went up against teams uh, whose offenses is less than stellar. You know, the, uh, the Dolphins offense with no Tua is non-existent. We all know that the Steelers offense stinks. Um, uh, the Washington's offense isn't anything to. I, although I love me some Taylor Heineke and and uh, Antonio Gibson and uh, Terry McLaurin are playmakers. Their offenses, their offense, uh, you know, is less to be desired. 
And then, of course, um, who did they play last week? Uh, the Houston Texans, who we all know are just a complete waste of time that are in line to get the number one pick come next April's draft. And, of course, going up against Kansas City's Chiefs, who's de- who wish they had a third of what the Bills' defense is because their defense is, is pathetic. You know, the, the Philadelphia Eagles had no problems putting the ball in the end zone against them on Sunday. You know, they were disgraceful against uh, they were disgraceful against the Ravens in the second half, especially against the Chargers. They weren't that much better the week after that. Their defense, they, I worry for that defense because they're going up against, you know, they're going up against a quarterback that if you, you give them the opportunity, they will cut you up and eat you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if you let them. With Josh Allen, who's who's quietly having an MVP caliber season, not to mention the receiving core that they have is one of the best in, is one of the best in football. Buffalo Bills look like are going to be right there as an AFC uh, Super Bowl contender to make Kansas City sweat a little bit. You know, I want to see that. You know, Mahomes has turned over the football in three straight games in a row now. Turned it over in Baltimore. Turned it over uh, at home against the, against the Chargers. Turned it over on the road against the Philadelphia Eagles. Can Mahomes? You know. Get have a little bit of self control, not get wild, not get crazy, not get sloppy, don't get cocky, don't get arrogant. Play within your means and play smart, edu- not educated, but smart, self aware um, football and put you and, and make and, and keep the pressure on Buffalo to stay lockstep with with Kansas City, get the stops that, you know, get Kansas City off the field, no third longs, get Kansas City off the field, force those punts, uh, and have Josh Allen, you know, essentially every single time the ball is in his hands, they go down the field and score a touchdown. Because, because the last thing the Bills need is for you to make the game easy for them with your offense stalling out because you're turning over the football left and right Mahomes with these bonehead asinine interceptions or uh, or the or the or the Chiefs defense not being able to get off the field on on third and second and longs with their piss poor uh, with their piss poor uh, pass coverage and getting eaten alive by uh, Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs. So I'd keep an eye out on that Chiefs defense because if they don't stop Josh Allen early, it's going to be a long night for them. Uh, and and keep an eye out on Mahomes and see if uh, if his little streak that he now has of three straight games with the turnover will uh, eventually, from a Kansas City standpoint, uh, come to an end. And then, of course, you got the Colts and the Ravens on Monday Night Football. Colts got their first win of the season against the uh, Miami Dol- against the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. We'll see if they can make it two in a row and improve the two and three on the year. While the Ravens had a nice, comfortable, chill uh, game for a change in their victory against the Denver Broncos, they returned home on Monday night. You best believe that the Ravens will be ready to play, and, and that game should be an easy pickings for the Baltimore Ravens. Well, it's that time of week again, folks. The Friday or slash Thursday before the uh, before another weekend of the NFL season. Hard to believe it is what week five is it already? Week five of the National Football League. It is that time. My week five picks against the spread in the league where they play.
for pay. Game number one between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Green Bay Packers. Packers favorite minus three. I gave you the injuries. I gave you my opinion on the game a few minutes ago. Give me the Green Bay Packers to win the game by the final score of 31-21. The New York Jets. I should have started that game because it starts at 9.30 morning. I should have started with that one first. The Jets going up against the Atlanta Falcons across the pond in the London game. Falcons favorite minus two and a half. They lost a bone-crushing game in typical Falcon fashion. Collapsing in the fourth quarter to the Washington football team while the Jets coming off of their first victory of the season against the Tennessee Titans. Atlanta's favorite minus two and a half. Give me the Jets to win their second game in a row by the final score of 24 to 21. The Detroit Lions, who remain winless, going up against the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings, who are one and three on the season, lost their last time out to the uh, to the Cleveland Browns. Detroit lost the game, and they really should have won, to be quite honest with you, on the road to the uh, Chicago Bears. Minnesota's favorite minus ten, giving the Vikings win the game by the final score of 31-17. Denver Broncos are in Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. Denver's favored by a point. They lost last time out to Pittsburgh's division rival Baltimore. Pittsburgh lost on the road to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Pittsburgh is 1-3, while the Denver Broncos are 3-1, which is quite a surprise. Uh, Denver's favored by a point. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers to get off to Schneid and win this game by the final score of 17 to. 10. The Miami Dolphins are in the state of Florida, but on the road against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are 3-1. Bucks took care of business thanks to a Nick Folk 56-yard field goal that he doinked off the left upright. Uh, their last time out on that Sunday night game against the Patriots, the Dolphins division rival. Meanwhile, they dropped yet another game, their third in a row. This time it was a home game against the uh, Indianapolis Colts last week. They try to get off the schneid and try to save their season before it goes up in smoke. Tampa favored minus 10. Give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this game by the final score of 31-13. to, 7, 31 to 13. Saints are in Washington to take on Washington. Both teams at 2-2. Two two. Saints lost the game. They had no business losing to Washington's division rival Giants in overtime. Uh, Danny Dimes looked like Phil Simms in a game. An absolute disgraceful performance by that defense. Washington coming off of the last second victory against the Falcons. New Orleans is favored by two points. Give me the Saints to win this game by the final score of 21-17. Philadelphia 1-3. Uh, lost last time out at home to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Going against the Carolina Panthers, who lost last time out to the Dallas Cowboys. Carolina favored by three by a field goal. Give me the Panthers to get back on the winning on their winning road by the final score of 28 to 17. Jacksonville taking on the Titans. Titans two and two lost, or excuse me, gave the Jets their first win of the season last week. Jacksonville remains winless, having lost to my Bengals last Thursday night. 
Tennessee favorite minus four and a half. You know all the garbage that's going on with Urban Meyer and the crew. Um, give me the Tennessee Titans to win this game, but a final score of 31 of 31-21. The New England Patriots are on the road to take on the Houston Texans. Patriots fair minus nine points in the game. Houston did not show up uh, last week and got shut out by the Buffalo Bills. Patriots lost a tough one to the uh, Bucks last week. Give me the Patriots to improve the two and three on the season by the final score of 24 to seven. While the Chicago Bears are on the road to take on the Vegas Raiders in Vegas. Vegas lost their first game of the season, uh, like I said, on Monday night to the Chargers. Uh, Chicago got their second win of the season, proving it 2-2. Two two. All systems go for Justin Fields. Vegas favorite minus 5.5. Give me Vegas to win the game by the final score of 27-20. Cleveland Browns are on the road, taking on the... Uh, L.A. Chargers. Chargers won on Monday night after, in the aforementioned game against the uh, Vegas Raiders at SoFi. While the Char- excuse me, the Browns are going off of their uh, gutty victory against the Vikings in Minnesota last week. Chargers favored by two. Give me the Chargers to win this game by the final score of 21 to 17. And the New York football Giants taking on the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Dallas at three and one. Uh, they have now lost the game. They have not lost the game since their Week One loss uh, to Tampa to begin the season. They're riding a three-game winning streak. Giants got off the Schneid last week on the road in overtime victory against the Saints. Dallas favored minus seven. Give me the Cowboys to win this game by the final score of 31 to 17. The 49ers are 2-2, two two, starting Trey Lance going up against the undefeated only team in the NFL, never lost. The Arizona Cardinals, Cardinals favorite, minus 4.5. Give me the Cardinals to improve to 5-0 on the season by the final score of 24-21. Had to give you a little cliffhanger there at the pick. Buffalo going up against Kansas City. Kansas City 2-2, two two. Uh, they got back to 500 in their win, their road win against Andy Reid's former Philadelphia Eagles. Their favorite minus 2.5, Buffalo shut out the Texans last week. Should be the best game arguably of the, should be the best game arguably um, of the weekend. Uh, as these two teams, AFC heavyweights, Buffalo 3-1, Kansas City 2-2. Two Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game in a shootout by the final score of 34-31. Uh, Chiefs, by the way, favorite minus 2.5. That's your Sunday night game. The Monday night game uh, should be a decent one. Colts 1-3 and three, trying to get to 2-3 and three and save their season coming off of their first win of the season on the road at Miami while the Ravens return home with a 3-1 and one record. Um, taking care of business against the uh, Denver Broncos. Um, Ravens favored by a touchdown. And by the way, I looked at this earlier this week. It's an interesting stat. You know, the Ravens who have spent the majority of the first uh, portion of their season on the road, they return home for a lengthy road stretch. 
the Ravens on Monday, beginning on Monday night against the uh, Colts, who used to be, of course, in Baltimore. They have a stretch where they play four straight road games. Four straight road games with a bye week in between week seven against the Bengals on October 24th and week nine at home against the Vikings on November the 7th with a bye week in between the week eight with the Bengals and Vikings in week seven and nine. They do not play another road game until November the 11th, a whole month from now. They do not play another road game for a month. November the 11th, week 10, a Thursday night game at Miami. But they start this stretch of four straight road games against the Colts. They're favored by a touchdown, giving the Ravens to win this game easy by the final score of 31-17. And those are your week five picks against the spread in the league where they play for pay. So you got a great sports weekend ahead of you. You got your college team. You can root for your for your alma mater or if you're a college student, root for your college team or root for your favorite college football team this weekend on Saturday. Uh, you, Oklahoma, Texas too, by the way. Keep an eye out for that. You got week five of the NFL. Really, you only but you only got you got five good games out of the entire week five. Four, four out of the five are on Sunday, and three out of the uh, and three out of five games I talked about that are the best ones are played on Sunday afternoon with the Packers, Bengals at one, Browns and Chargers and 49ers and Cardinals at the four o'clock window, uh, and then of course you got Bears and Bears and Raiders. If you want to see Justin Fields to see how the Raiders respond coming off of the loss, Titans and Jaguars. You want to see how the Titans response. Uh, how they respond after their Week Four defeat in overtime against the Jets, getting giving them their first win of the season, um, and of course the Jaguars with the whole Urban Meyer fiasco. Uh, keep an eye out on that. And of course, you also got the uh, the division series with base, and of course you got the division series with baseball uh, this weekend. You got the four game. You got the four games on Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, two games on Sunday. You get Tampa and Boston at four o'clock. That's game Game three that's going to go up against uh, the Browns, Chargers, 49ers, Cardinals, uh, and uh, Dallas and the Giants and the Bears and the Raiders. That's at four. And then Houston and Chicago, game three on, at eight o'clock on FS1, which should be on Fox. Fox, you know, the Fox, they got, uh, they got, they got NFL from one, from one to 730. Um, with the uh, you know with with the 49ers Cardinals which is going to be a good game and of course uh, Cowboys and Giants is Cowboys and Giants and they have and they, that's going to draw over fifth about 15 million people watching a tremendous lead and they do this they do this during the World Series I don't know why they can't do this for the divisional series in baseball in the opening round they got they got a, a decent day of football that they can lead into Game Three. Of a Houston of the Astros and the White Sox, that can you know try to compete with uh, the Sunday night game, and the Bills and the Chiefs to try to get a decent rating, and they put the stupid game on FS1, which makes absolutely no sense. But you got those two games. Game three of the ALDS is on Sunday. Uh, it's an off day for the ALDSs on Saturday. Game two of the NLDS is on Saturday. Uh, these games should be this. These games should be at three and six o'clock, not five and nine. 
um, the game two of the Braves and the of the Braves and the Brewers. Game two between the Dodgers and the Giants. Those two games will be on TBS. Stay up till one o'clock in the morning for Giants and Dodgers on on uh, Saturday night with Brian Anderson and and Lauren Shahadi and the crew. And of course, and of course, today you're in the middle of a game between the White Sox and the uh, Astros. Atlanta and Milwaukee game. Atlanta and Milwaukee at uh, game one. Uh, later on uh, in the latter parts of Friday afternoon you get Boston and the Boston and Tampa at night and of course game one at 937 you know trying to keep yourself awake after a long day you've been watching baseball all day between the Dodgers and the Giants on TBS. So you got a good sports weekend, week five of the NFL, Oklahoma and Texas and college football if that suits your fancy. Um, and of course you got playoff baseball and uh, you know preseason hockey, preseason basketball, which I do not care about. But if you're in, but if you want to watch some preseason of your favorite winter uh, teams play, knock yourself out. It's your boy Josh Shields. I'll talk to you next week. Follow me on socials at the J Shield. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the sports. Y'all take care.